Okay, this is Kerry Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's Wednesday, November 12th, which means we're just two days away from the start of the college basketball season. The Patinos are going to be in Puerto Rico. I'm headed to the Naval Academy for Michigan State Navy in BCU, Tennessee. And this is, of course, the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, which is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For free trial and 10% off, Go to squarespace.com slash CBS Sports and use the offer code FUN. Matt Norlander is here as usual. So is Sam Vecini. Norlander, how are you on this Wednesday? I'm doing well. I almost jokingly interrupted your in- introduction there because, uh, you know, for listeners, we, we just unusually took a few different uh, starts to this week's podcast, and I almost wanted to joke around and mess with you, but I didn't want you to... <laughs> we got through I the first 30 seconds smoothly. Like, Let's just keep going. I was, was going to be like, oh, Parrish, I'm doing good while you're doing the Squarespace read, but I'm not going to do that. But yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, two days away to the season. Finally, finally, finally. Feels like the longest off season ever. And uh, breaking Sam into the podcast routine, so plenty excited about that, too. Young Sam, how are you? Pretty great. Looking forward to the uh, Alan Williams-Cliff Alexander matchup Ooh. on uh, Friday, you know? Now, that's Friday night. And, and what I, you know, I was looking at the schedule earlier, and we don't... I, there aren't any marquee games. I mean, I'm going to be at the Naval Academy, but mostly because it's it's broadcast by CBS Sports Network, and I'm going to I, I think they're doing an hour long pregame show, so I'm going to be involved in that. And then I'm I'm spending the weekend in, at VCU with Shaka Smart and uh, his nationally ranked Rams. And so um, the games at the Naval Academy, though I'm I'm excited about going because you know I, I'm always excited to go somewhere I've never been. I've never been to the Naval Academy, so I, I'm excited about going. But the games. Um, for the most part, aren't that interesting on Friday night. But Cliff Alexander versus Allen Williams, that is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great game. I, I think that Allen Williams might kind of destroy him a little bit. Destroy? Just because he oh might. I mean, depends on if Alexander plays a lot. Uh, I mean, Jamari Trailer it looks like, is going to get a lot of minutes. Rustin Dodd tweeted out last night. Uh, Cliff Alexander didn't get in until, I think, the 10th minute of the game in their exhibition last night. So... I think that Alan, there's a decent Alan shot. Williams I'm with you. I'm with you, Sam. Off. I'm with you. I'm with I, you. I can see Alan Williams getting the better of him, but I uh, I would stop short of of destroy. Of that might be a little bit of an overstatement, <laughs> but like it could be it could be a 2010 game as is typical for Williams. No, I'm ready to get going to him, man. Like I um, even though the games aren't great on Friday, and they really aren't great until Tuesday, and then we got a bunch of great things. Um, but um, I just get a little worn out by talking about what we think is going to happen. Like, I feel like I've said yes. it, I've said it all at this point. Like somebody earlier this week said, Hey, when are you going to guys start doing more podcast, uh, more frequently? And the answer to that question is next week. But like, honestly, after we do one a week, uh, in the preseason, I don't know what else there is to say. Like you're almost waiting on, you need, you need, uh, North Carolina to skip some more classes or, uh, Southern Miss to be involved in a scandal. Otherwise, there's not much to say that we haven't already uh, said. Speaking of stories like that, I do want to talk about this first because I posted the story earlier today, CBSSports.com, and it, it's getting a, a lot of uh, uh, traction, as uh, as I suspected it would. I detailed, um, I basically just sat down and decided I'm going to write the definitive Scalabissier, Gerald Hamilton messy recruitment story and and um and try to get everything i know and that i have sourced that i have on the record sort of in one story as the national signing period gets going today and uh Lebissier, who is a consensus top 10 prospect at this point uh, considered a, 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 a 
you know, as, as much as there is such a thing, a can't miss NBA prospect on some level. And, um, you know, so, so I, I detail first with an on the record quote from an AAU coach, a prominent AAU coach, a guy who's been doing it for, for three decades, uh, where Gerald Hamilton called him, you know, two years ago and said, Hey, um, uh, I want to talk to you and I need, basically need your advice, need your guidance. How do I profit off a player if I want to profit off a player? And then I just go from there talking with, you know, college coaches who have been turned off by the whole thing or couldn't get involved in the thing. Um, how college coaches have, I don't want to say turned in Gerald Hamilton to the NCAA because that's probably not the proper term, but they've certainly talked about Gerald Hamilton to the NCAA and indicated that they were um, left with the impression, at the very least, that um, unless they were willing to help fund his 501c3 foundation, which is called Reach Your Dream, um, that waste that that recruiting Scalabissier was mostly um, would mostly be a waste of time. I also detail in the story how Gerald Hamilton has talked to, I know for a fact, at least three representatives of three different sports agencies and, and asked, you know, essentially what, what kind of market might be, uh, might exist for Scal um, after this high school senior year if he wants to go overseas for a year like Emmanuel Moutier did, like Brandon Jennings did, as opposed to enroll in um, – in an NCAA institution and detailed how the NCAA is, is regardless of who Labissier picks, whether it's Kentucky, North Carolina, Memphis, Baylor, Tennessee, or Georgetown, they are going to uh, really make it difficult or at least ask a lot of questions before he's able to get through the eligibility center. So I'm just, I'm just curious. You guys have followed college basketball for a long time. I live in Memphis or in the Memphis area, which is um, a city notorious for, notorious for, for wild recruiting stories on the basketball side there was Tony Harris in Tennessee once upon a time on the football side there was Albert Means in Alabama uh, once upon a time uh, just based on nothing more than what I was able to post at cbssports.com how wild is this in your eyes Norlander fairly wild so this is this is crazy like I do remember being in Vegas two years ago and you being like, yeah, there's this kid, the homie Scal, man. He's from Haiti. He might be awesome. <laughs> and from that to what he's become, uh, just an awesome-looking basketball player. I mean, he's very well-built, good skill set, just looks like he could probably be on an NBA roster right now. Um, with all of this and the stuff that you got on the record <laughs> that's it's a hell of a it's a hell of an intro to be honest i mean he, you know his guardian essentially asking how am i going to be able to make money off this player and then a reporter um michael cohen uh in your town now basically wrote a story about how there's another kid mm -hmm. that basically was a cast off and and scal basically became the only one that mattered and there's just a whole other separate sad saga to this story i guess that uh that is kind of getting lost in it, and as expected, because Scal is the five-star future NBA prospect. Um, but from all we're seeing here, yeah. I, I mean, once the Reach Your Dream stuff came out two weeks ago, and <laughs> I, I had to write on that, and it just it looked grim once that became a reality that he would be able to be eligible. This thing is so funny, because we're recording this podcast here you know, it's 1.35 Eastern on Wednesday, and on Thursday, Scal is going to announce where he thinks he might be able to go play college basketball next year, and there's a lot of belief that that is going to be Kentucky. Uh, but from where I sit, 
from where you sit, GP, from where a lot of coaches, as they're quoted in your story, it just does not look like a situation where Scal's guardian has put him in any sort of situation. I mean, Hamilton looks like if you wanted to mess up the reputation and future is a little harsh, but basic situation of a kid from another country if you wanted to mess that up as much as possible in terms of college basketball, it's hard for you to do much worse than this. Yeah, and let, let's back up a little bit to your initial point, which is we were out in Vegas two, two summers ago, which is all true. And I, um, I, the first time I had ever heard about Skull, you know, because he he moved to you know he's from Haiti, moved to the Memphis area. Uh, but was not playing high school basketball yet. And I remember being at the LeBron James Skills Academy in Akron. This might have been three years ago. And because I know it was the same year that, you know, I spent like three days traveling around with Tom Izzo. Like, yeah, we, that we, was 2011. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it was three years ago. Um, I was at the LeBron James Skills Academy, and a, and a basketball coach walked up to me. And I won't name them because they're not supposed to be talking about recruits. But right. you, you guys know how it works. And so somebody walked up to me and said – Hey, what do you think of Skull? And I'm like, what? And they said, what, what do you think of Skull? And I'm like, like Skull? Like chewing tobacco? I thought they were asking me about chewing tobacco. I thought it was like maybe some like you live in the South type of joke. And like I didn't know – I didn't understand what was being asked of me. Like what do you think of Skull? And I'm like, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And they go, the kid from Haiti lives in Memphis. And I said, I don't know who you're talking about. And I felt a little like, you know, like stupid. Like, wow, I, how do I not know about this kid? So I immediately started – you know, asking people who I thought might, and they were like, oh yeah, he's just moved here, he's great. He just moved here, super talented, just moved here, uh, terrific. And so, at some point, um, I actually reached out to Gerald Hamilton. I had n- never heard of him before and had never met him before, but I reached out and recognized that there's probably a story here to tell, and I'm going to try to tell it. And the story is basically, um, you know, he w- was living in Haiti during the devastating earthquake, and his house literally collapsed on top of him. He was trapped under his house, broken legs, injured back, the whole deal. And after that, um, Gerald Hamilton was able to bring him and another Haitian basketball player, a kid named Samuel Jean-Gilles, uh, to the United States, to here in Memphis. And at that point is the point where I'm sitting down with Gerald and um, and and Scow. At, at a local Starbucks, honestly. And we sat on a patio and talked it all out, and they tell me the story, and, and I wrote the story. And I, I believe that's the first national story that was ever written about Scala Bissier, maybe one of the first stories, if not the first story ever. And since that day, um, I have never seen a recruitment more mishandled publicly than this one has been mishandled. And you mentioned the story by Michael Cohen at the Commercial Appeal, posted last Friday, I believe. And it, it was really terrific because what Michael did was he went and found this other kid. Because Scal came here not alone. He came here with another young basketball player named Samuel Jean-Gilles. But that kid doesn't, he's not here anymore. And, and you know, no, honestly, I didn't even know that that kid ever existed. Same. Okay, okay, but 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 Michael, you know, to a credit to him, figured, found out that he did. And then found out, okay, there was another Haitian here with that lived with Gerald Hamilton and that family and went to ECS just like Scal. What what happened to him? And so Michael basically through like Facebook and social media found the kid up in Boston and went to visit him. And the way the story goes is that that kid, after a year at ECS, just clearly wasn't 
what Scal was and really wasn't even a Division One level athlete. In other words, when Gerald Hamilton got these two Haitian young basketball players to move to the United States, he honestly didn't know what he was getting. He was trusting somebody else's opinion, and somebody said, hey, these, these are two good kids, you should take them. So he took them. Well, one turns out to be a future lottery pick, and the other one's an NAIA player. So as the story goes, from talking to both the football coach and basketball coach at ECS, which is a really nice private school here in the Memphis area, uh, Gerald Hamilton asked the basketball coach and the football coach, hey, uh, we know Scal's special, but what about Samuel? Is he going to be a Division I basketball player? The basketball coach says, no, that's not going to be the way this breaks down. He's just not good enough for that. Nice kid, uh, nice high school player, but he's not going to be a Division I player. No, not at all. Goes to the football coach because the kid was built a certain way where football might make sense. Um, football coach says, nah, nice kid, nice high school football player, but he's not going to be a Division I football player. Within weeks of those conversations happening, Gerald Hamilton, without announcement, had purchased a bus ticket 29 hours to Boston and sent Samuel Jean-Gilles uh, in the middle of the night on a bus ride across the country to live with an aunt he had never met. All right? Now, when you ask Gerald Hamilton, like Michael Cohen did, why did you do that? What he says is, well, the kid, that kid was a bad influence on, on Scow and, um, and, and my children, so we had to get him out of here. When you talk to literally anybody else who's ever met Samuel, they say that that's crazy. The kid is not a bad kid. He's a good kid. And so Michael Cohen said, well, well, what do you mean bad kid? Like, what did he do? So Gerald Hamilton spins this story about how there was a fundraiser at ECS and, um, and, and Samuel Jean-Gilles stole some fundraising cards. And that was the, quote, last straw. So Michael Cohen goes to the ECS officials, basketball coach, football coach, everybody over there. They say that's just not true. Not only did Samuel not steal fundraising cards, nobody stole fundraising cards. There were never any missing. That's just not true. Michael Cohen goes back to Gerald Hamilton and, and says, okay, well, they say that didn't happen. What other bad things? And Gerald can't name another bad thing the kid ever did and says, um, actually says to Michael, well, I don't want to get into the details because I don't want to hurt the kid, which is obvious bullshit because if you didn't want to hit the, hurt the kid, you would have never told the first story, which was a lie. So the whole right. thing's just bananas, all right? And, um, oh, by the way, another family in Memphis who went to church with Samuel Jean-Gilles, once they found out he was in Boston, went out of their way to try to bring him back to Memphis. They said, hey, we will, we will let him live with us. That kid's a sweetheart, and he can be with us. This is crazy that he's been shipped out just because he's not a good enough basketball player. Gerald Hamilton would not allow that kid to move in with another family because he was still the quote legal guardian. Yeah, legal guardian. Right. Yeah. Okay. So he's a bad. So like, but I like I don't know what you call a bad guy, but that to me is what you would call a a bad guy. Like when you put a kid from another country whose parents have trusted you to be in charge on a twenty nine hour bus ride in the middle of the night for no reason that anybody else actually believes, other than he wasn't good enough to allow you to profit off of him someday, that, in my mind, is a bad guy. And so, you know, you take all that story and combine it with all the stuff I wrote today, and it's just a, a, a mess of a situation. And I cannot tell you, you know, with any of us, and, and, and you know, Matt, I know this happens to you. Sam, now that you're here at CBS Sports, it'll, it'll happen with you soon enough. Anytime you write about any sort of human interest story, uh, or any sort of kids gone, kids done wrong story. Um, you'll get text messages and phone calls from countless coaches, and they'll say, "Hey, you know, they, uh, think you know, they, good good job on that. Can't believe what happened to that kid." And I don't know that I've ever had more coaches just express basic sympathy for Scalabissier as much as I have um, uh, for any prospect as, or any story as much as I have for Scalabissier. 
uh, over the past few months while I've been reporting on this story. And and I mean it's it's an interesting story because we're you know it's signing day right. for college basketball today, which is obviously one thirtieth of what that it means in college football. But this is really p- the predominant recruiting story um, of the week of the month of the past few weeks, and I'm sure because of this, because of the timing of the story. Um, Kentucky fan went Kentucky fan. And because, I mean, it's, it's expected that he will announce for Kentucky on Thursday. And you have this story which does not paint Hamilton in a good light. And it doesn't have anything to do with, with Scal necessarily, but just by connection, um, are Kentucky fans thinking that you're slamming a possible future prospect? Oh, sure. Um, it's so funny, and I'm glad you bring this up, because uh, there, there's, I think, a couple of interesting things to address here. Um, one, people who aren't Kentucky fans think, like, I'm I'm a Kentucky homer because I love John Calipari because I used to be his beat writer at Memphis, right? And then Kentucky fans think I hate Kentucky, so I, I'll never be able to make sense of, of any of that. As I've said many times, um, though John and I had a perfectly reasonable professional relationship in the four years I was his beat writer, we were probably never as close as some people thought, and we never disliked each other as much as other people might have thought. Like, um, I like him fine. I like his family. When I see him, I ask him how Ellen's doing. When he sees me, he asks me how my kids are. Like, we have that. He's perfectly, I got no issues with John Calipari. I think he's great at what he does. But because of the timing, certainly, um, Kentucky fans are, are and, and honestly, uh, some other people uh, are questioning the timing of the story and 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 whether it's connected to this reality. For a while, it has appeared that Scalabissier was probably uh, going to the University of Memphis, which is, you know, I live in Memphis. People, know, I used to be the Memphis beat writer. I graduated from Memphis. These are all things that could be found in a simple Google search, so there, there's no sense hiding from them. Um, so they say, okay, A, what's your motivation here? And B, what about the time? And I guess I would just address it this way. I, first off, anybody who really knows me knows I couldn't care less about where a kid goes to school. Like I get why, why, um, fans, hardcore fans might think writers are, are motivated by such things, but anybody who actually knows me well knows that that just doesn't matter to me anyway whatsoever. And like, I, in fact, I'll say it on the record for Scal, probably the best thing for him to do is go to Kentucky. Because like there's a, a, a consistent pattern of of guys going there and and becoming you know high level NBA draft picks and players and I if that's your goal to be a one and done professional um, I think going to Kentucky makes a lot of sense. If I were in charge of Scal, let me be very clear, I would probably send him to Kentucky over Memphis and everywhere else. Um, so that, that that just doesn't motivate me at all. The timing is honestly um, I, what I am motivated by is deadlines, even if they're arbitrary, and, and fear. And uh, so in this regard, I've been collecting information on this since the summer. You know, I've talked to people consistently. But when Michael Cohen's story came out last Friday, I'll be, I thought it was, Michael's a friend of mine, and he's super talented, super smart, and I thought the story was awesome. And I, I was happy to read it and happy that he was able to expose Gerald Hamilton uh, the way that he did. I was also pissed off. Because it, it ain't, I was like, Jesus, why didn't I even ever think to go find that kid? Like, my instincts are usually pretty good, and it never occurred to me to even go try to find the other Haitian kid. I don't even know if I knew the other Haitian kid existed. So I was motivated by that. Man, that, Michael Cohen, congratulations. But, man, that could have been my story. That probably should have been my story. Why didn't I get that story? I'm going to go get the next one. Um, so that's part of it. And then the deadline thing is, like, you know, the deadline is um, the deadline's today. You know, like, uh, National Signing Day starts today. The, um, you know, he's announcing tomorrow, and I thought if this story was going to work, it needed 
right. to, to be done in advance of that. Advance it, yeah. Yeah, and so honestly, mm-hmm. after last Friday, I, I started making phone calls and trying to shore up what, what I had, uh, get new stuff, and basically decided by no later than, than this afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, I was going to write, try to write the definitive Gerald Hamilton Scalabissier recruiting story to the best that I could do it. That, that's, so that's the explanation for the timing. Um, as for, hey, you didn't write this when it looked like he was going to Memphis. You're only writing this because he looks like he's going to Kentucky now. Um, I, I would say this. I wrote the first Gerald, like the first ever Gerald Hamilton is a sketchy character story. It was written this July by me when people were calling Scout a lock for Memphis. All right. So like, like you can go Google it. I talked about him trying to fund his 501c3 through the recruitment. This is all when it looked like Scout was, was actually going to Memphis. So though I have uh, published a more detailed version of all of that, uh, the first person to ever call Gerald Hamilton uh, sketchy or the recruitment sketchy publicly certainly on a national level is me while the kid was leaning everybody thought toward the university of memphis Uh, beyond that um anybody who listens to my radio show and i don't expect you know people around the country to to tune in although i certainly invite them to knows that we have been talking about the sketchiness of gerald hamilton for a long long time back when again people thought scow was going to the university of memphis so i recognize why kentucky fans might think what they think uh, all I can do is, you know, it, you know, be as transparent as possible and tell you that I was motivated by Michael Cohen's story, motivated by national signing period starting today, and uh, and and motivated by, I fundamentally think Gerald Hamilton's a bad guy doing bad things, and I don't know that he'll mess up Scal's life forever because he's so super talented. He's probably going to be in the NBA and a millionaire no matter what. Yeah. But this is a mm-hmm. fact. And then Sam, I'll bring you in on this. Um, he has cost him an opportunity to win a state championship, which matters to kids. It, you know, it just does. He has cost him an opportunity to be a McDonald's All-American and a Gatorade National you know, Player of the Year and Tennessee State Player of the Year uh, because he, he moved him from school to school, which ruled him ineligible. By the way, Scow has competed for three different summer basketball programs and, and, and attended two different high schools. And when you ask people why, they'll say that, that Gerald was consistently shopping him over the past few years. You want something... Um, you know, you, you want Scott to stay at ECS, you better ante up. Ultimately, ECS decided not to ante up. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's the best explanation I can give somebody. I, I understand why people might uh, raise an eyebrow to the timing and all that, particularly given where I live, but that's as, that's as transparent as I can be. Sam, your thoughts? It's just a totally ridiculous thing that I don't think I've ever seen a recruiting process like this. Like, I, I'm, I do come from more of an... NBA background over the last couple of years, but like I still follow recruiting and I've never seen something so ridiculous. Like part of me wants to like laugh at the ridiculousness of this reach your dream thing where they canceled a game last week because Skull had what? What did Skull have? Like an, an upper infection? Respi- yeah, it was, it was described as an upper respiratory infection, which I believe means that was the first time in the history of basketball, far as I'm concerned, that a game was actually canceled because one player was sick. Like, that's the most ridiculous thing that could possibly ever happen in, like, the high school level. Like, it's pretty clear this Reach Your Dream thing is, I don't know that it's a sham, but it's probably the most transparent way to try and get him on the floor without, uh, you know, being able to play high school basketball. Oh, it's definitely a a sham. And and just to the larger Reach Your Dream Foundation, um, Gerald Hamilton has consistently said he's, he's helped, you know, uh, so many kids and blah, blah, blah. But when you ask him to name them, he can't. He won't 
because they don't exist. I had two friends of his, people that Gerald Hamilton trusts, right? He talks to them in confidence, but then they talk to me because, you know, because they do. Uh, say, listen, there are no other kids. There have been two Haitians that Gerald Hamilton's brought to the United States. One of them is a future lottery pick, so he gets to still live with Gerald. The other was an NAIA prospect, and so he got shipped off on a 29-hour bus ride to uh, to Boston. And so the oh, the whole foundation's a sham. But then this team, there's no reason to do it. Do you know what it is? It is it is Scal Labissier and uh, and homeschool kids and or other kids who aren't good enough to play for their own high school basketball teams. Basically then committing to go play in tournaments for a fee. And in, in other words, and I don't want to guess what the fees might be, but let's just say in general, um, there's, a tur- there's an event in Kentucky and they want, uh, they'll pay $3,000 to get this team there. Well, again, I'm connecting a bunch of dots here that may not need to be connected, but I'm just trying to talk hypothetically how this stuff might work. A Kentucky booster could then pay a, a tournament organizer $5,000 to make sure to get Scalabissier's team to come play and spend a weekend in Kentucky while a gym gets filled with, with, with Kentucky fans. Also could happen at Baylor, Georgetown, North Carolina, Memphis, everywhere else. But I'm just saying the whole thing, if you wanted to say – hey, I just want Scal playing a senior year of basketball, then you should have just left his ass at ECS. If you want to say, hey, he needs to play to get better, then he'd be better off working with a trainer every day than he would playing with kids who look like my kids. And so uh, the whole thing, the foundation's a sham, the team's a sham. Or seriously, like he's just mentioned, he mentioned to you what in July, just send him overseas to play somewhere. Send him, I don't know, send him to, where did Jeremy Tyler go? Italy? Send him to Italy and have him work with a professional team because he clearly has the talent to do that. Like if you really have the best interests of the kid at heart, then you should be trying to find the best place for him. And that's definitely not this ridiculous reach your dream foundation team. Yeah. And I just feel sick for the kid because he's like genuinely like a, a sweetheart of a young man. He's like sharp, smart, thoughtful, kind. He's everything you would want um, a young elite basketball prospect to be. And, you know, speaks multi-languages, like he's, he's he, no academic issues. He's been in two of the best schools, if not the two best schools in Memphis. Um, but it's just, he is either, um, he's either, because uh, like Skull will dismiss all of this stuff. I could quote 15 different people and he just thinks everybody's making it up. And I don't blame him because he's young and he's, he's uh, forever grateful to, to Gerald Hamilton and that family for bringing him to the United States. I mean, we can say whatever we want about how awful of a human Gerald Hamilton might be, but Scalabissier was living in a house that crumbled on top of him and then inside of an elementary school, right? And now he lives in a, in a nice home in the suburbs of Memphis. You know, he's going to a, a school that is um, for wealthy people in the area. His life is undeniably better today than it was, you know, four years ago. And that's all Scout can really see. But my point has always been, you know, just because you do all that for a young person doesn't mean you're then supposed to exploit them or profit off of them. I'm somebody who has actually hosted exchange students in our home, two European uh, girls. And you know, so clearly I wouldn't try to profit off them. They weren't basketball players. They weren't six foot ten. They, one was about five six. The other was about five four. One was from Germany. One from, was from Italy. I love them like my daughters, but they were a financial drain. <laughs> we didn't benefit financially from them in any way. Um, they, they, uh, we were exposed to a new culture. I think it was great for my son my older son, um, and and we're going to visit them again next summer, and they will be a part of our family forever. But just because I spent literally thousands of dollars and countless hours and, 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 and welcomed these young people into my home, 
It doesn't mean that I should then try to or uh, or actually benefit from it in any real way. And so just because Gerald's done a lot of nice things from Scout doesn't, I don't think, put him in a situation where it's okay to do all these other things that he's doing. And so I, I think we've reached a point where Scout either is okay with it Scouts basically just sort of weighed everything and said, you know what, I don't mind. Like, this man's done all these things for me, so if he wants to get some extra whatever on the side, I'm okay with it. Either that's what's going on here, or he's completely brainwashed. There's no other explanation that I can come up with, and I hate it because I, I really do genuinely like the kid. Um, and I, and I, I understand how a story like the one I wrote and a podcast like the one we're doing it, it can be interpreted by a 17-year-old. Oh, why is Mr. Parrish coming at me? He says he likes me. He's nice to me. And then, and then he does this to me. I, I, that, to me, is um, that, that's tough because I do really like the kid and I want what's best for him. But I, I'm also – like this is also my job to tell stories, and, and I think this is a pretty fascinating uh, story that, that needs to be told, if only because maybe it will scare somebody else from trying to do something similar. Yeah. Remember, today's Eye on College Basketball podcast was brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is, Squarespace is constantly improving its platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Starts at just $8 a month, includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, and every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, meaning your content will look great on every device every single time so go ahead and launch free trial with no credit card required and start building your website today again when you sign up uh, make sure to use the offer code fun to get 10 percent off and to show your support for the ion college basketball podcast that's squarespace everything you need to create an exceptional website all right let's talk some actual basketball can we do that we can so do I'm that all minute. for that okay so i recorded i think it'll air tonight um a segment with mike krzyzewski uh, for his Basketball and Beyond Sirius XM radio show. I basically uh, went on Coach K's, and it was recorded early because his schedule's hectic. We recorded it yesterday morning. It'll air, I think, for the first time tonight and then several times throughout the week. Did you guys talk ISIS? Uh, we did not talk ISIS at all. I didn't, I, didn't feel, uh, I didn't feel like it was proper to bring it up. He was, it, it is sort of weird when you are being interviewed by Mike Krzyzewski. That's what was happening. That is really weird. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like, so, uh, oh, and I will say, Matt Norlander, if you catch the interview, he mentioned you by name. That's actually fairly shocking. I would not think Mike Krzyzewski would know who the hell I am. He, that he, is kind of terrifying. He said, he said um, and I'm not saying this to pat ourselves on the back. I'm only saying it to, to pat Matt Norlander on the back. He said, you know, you and Matt Norlander do a wonderful job over at CBSSports.com and so on and so forth. So I want, I want it, if you can, you, you might want to hear it. It's just like it's maybe the, the best guy who's ever done it, publicly you know, complimenting you. So oh, how about that? Uh, yeah, right. So, um but we so we get into a conversation and and coach K said one of the things he likes about this preseason and going into this season is, is that it seems like people are talking about teams more than players and he referenced that and I agreed with him uh, if only because it was his show and I didn't feel like I was going to disagree with Mike Shevsky on his own show but I actually <laughs> I actually do think he's he's right last year at this time we were all talking about Andrew Wiggins and Julius Randle, and Jabari Parker, and we were trying to pick between the three. Who would you take number one? And it was all about mock drafts and individuals, and, and really who was ranked number one or three or seven didn't seem to matter much. And yet this year, though we still have some of that with, you know, Jalil Okafor and Kelly Oubre and so on and so forth, for the most part we are talking about 
Wisconsin returning most of the important pieces from a Final Four team, and Arizona returning six of the top eight from a number one seed in the West region, and Kentucky's platoon. Uh, the point, Mike, was making was that we seem to be talking more about teams than players, and he asked me if I thought he was reading that correctly. I told him I thought he, I, I thought he was. Sam, what do you think? Do you think Coach K's got that tabbed right? We are talking more about teams in basketball as opposed to individuals. No, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think there's been a lot of discussion on, like, for instance, whether or not Arizona uh, can – figure out a way to replace Aaron Gordon defensively or if uh, Wisconsin can reach their final four or back-to-back final four after Bill Ryan finally got to his first one or if like Tom Izzo can string together this like kind of under-talented team compared to what he's had recently and get them to 20 wins somehow. I definitely agree with that. I think that as opposed to the Wiggins discussions that we were having last year that it's kind of a breath of fresh air that we are getting to discuss how these coaches kind of crafted teams that could be really balanced, really strong squads. Norlander, do you agree with that? Yeah, to a, to a certain extent I do. Um, I think in part because we are a year removed from, and there were a couple of people that wrote this in the past week, you know, a year ago, it was about the freshmen coming in, the four major freshmen and McDermott coming back. So there was some particular emphasis on the players, Whereas this year we don't have that. I think we've had a year like this year, a lot of years, I guess, in the past decade or so. Uh, but because we came off a really good season, we might be focusing on the teams more. That will change in about a month because, uh, to me, uh, you know, every season is great and I, I enjoy it. It has its own, you know, ebbs and flows and different ripple effects. And players get awesome that we aren't expecting to be awesome. And the same goes for teams. And, uh We'll have some standout performances. I mean, this time one year ago, this very minute of this very day, I mean, we would not have known Frank Kaminsky hardly at all. I could have told you he was on their team, but I wouldn't have told you How about you this? This is actually, I think, a good point. If On November 12, 2013, if you would have asked not just casual sports fans, actual college basketball fans, where does Frank Kaminsky play? Could they have guessed Wisconsin? They might have just got it based off Kaminsky, and they're going to bet. They're going to maybe. Bet. <laughs> they're just going to maybe. Just gonna, but I mean, I couldn't have told you if Kaminsky would see significant minutes a year ago at this time. Right. And it was on November nineteenth, like their second or third game. Right. He got. 40. He put up forty three, set a school record. It was this big, goofy white guy scoring 43. That kind of, you know, I remember that night, so to speak, because it was like, whoa, who is this Kaminsky dude on a fairly, you know, decent Wisconsin team that's putting up 43? Point is, you know, we could have a situation like that um, where a guy who isn't in our top 100 suddenly becomes a clear-cut top 25 player in the sport. I can't wait for that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be great. I still think Julie Okafor is going to have the best season because I think Duke is going to be consistently ranked in the top 15 all year long. And his skill set is at such a high elite level that we don't see from a lot of players in terms of being a true post player. I think that's going to have significant impact. So I think, you know, there's been some discussion on players, but certainly it's been more about teams and questions and, you know, Arizona and Wisconsin and Kentucky, these teams should be really good and near the top and should, should compete for the title and all that stuff. So overall, I just, I mean, I just can't wait for these games. And I know the people listening to this podcast are feel the same way. I mean, the season starting on November 14th is longer it's a longer wait than we've had in the past 10 years. Um, so I am, uh, I'm certainly ready. And I'm also ready to see how we react. You know, we, I, I feel I've prided us on, you know, basically since I've been here, no matter what our writer, you know, 
roster lineup has been we don't overreact to anything. I think we're pretty damn measured in kind of taking news as it happens, writing our columns and our and our stories and whatnot, and and you know writing in the moment but not really losing ourselves. I think we're going to have some surprises early on. It's always hard to forecast and see how you know. Duke could possibly start the season one and two, or Arizona might drop a game to a team they shouldn't. I'm not saying those things will happen, but they can, and they do happen for top 25 teams. So I'm interested to see who uh, who stumbles and who doesn't over the course of the next 10 days. Friday's kind of a Friday is kind of a blah day. I mean, there's like a, a million games, but really, I mean, there's not one standout game. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I guess Minnesota Louisville. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really that's, the only game. Yeah. Minnesota won the NIT last year. Louisville is a top 10 team in the eyes of many. Um, outside of that, we really will feel the season start on Tuesday when you'll be uh, at the Champions Classic. Um, and, you know, ESPN has its huge 24-hour marathon. So um, I can't wait for it to start. And uh, two days, two days. Um, another interesting thing, when I was talking to Krzyzewski, he's, we, we got on the subject of, of Kentucky and – and the platoon system. And he, he said something that I, I thought was interesting. In my opinion has always been you, you, you platoon. If you're John Calipari, at least say you're going to platoon early. If you're John Calipari, because it, it, it pushes, it delays the bitching about playing time for as long as possible. Like right now, if you were saying, Oh yeah, we got starters and then we got, you know, three rotation guys off the bench. And then, you know, everybody else is buried. Then you've got, you know, probably two or three other guys who are just pissed off and whatever. But when you're basically saying we have two teams, 10 starters, everything's cool. Then everybody's cool until it's not. That's always been my rationalization for, for playing this the way John's played it. Krzyzewski actually said, you know, he didn't disagree with any of that, but he also said when you have as many talented guys um, as, as, as Kentucky has, and maybe only, these are my words, not his, but maybe only one or two great ones. And then a bunch of guys who are all super talented, but, but who, you know, how do you know who's better than who? Um, it's, it's probably better to do this because if you start setting a starting lineup and then three guys off the bench or four guys off the bench, the guys who you bury at nine and 10, 11, might actually be your third and fourth best player, but you don't know because you just miscalculated in the preseason. And so he said, you know, Shashevsky was like, the, this platoon thing is a good way for John to be able to, to see exactly what he's got. Everybody's, all those guys, all the talented guys are going to have an opportunity to play. And then if you want to abandon the platoon at some point, that's fine, but you at least have a good idea of, of what you've actually got because you've watched them all play. And then the other thing he said is, I don't know if he said it exactly, but he certainly implied at some point you've got to abandon the platoon because he did say this. There's going to be a time where Carl Towns gets 15 points in four minutes. And are you really going to jerk him off the floor with everybody else because you want to get the other platoon in? Uh, you know, uh, so I think that seems to be the consensus. And it was just interesting to hear Shashevsky actually comment on that as well. Yeah, yeah no, I I'm, go go ahead, Sam. I'm still uh, reeling from Parrish and the phrase he inadvertently just said about 15 seconds ago. Go ahead, Sam. No, go ahead. I want to hear what phrase. No, he just said Carl. He just he GP uh, just strung together a few words about taking Carl Towns off the floor. So that's all. Oh yeah, that should almost never happen. Um, It is really interesting though. Like I was doing my uh, NBA draft prospect rankings, which I think we're going to debut on CBS. They won't be doing my rankings. We'll be doing a mock draft at some point next week or in the next two weeks or something. And I saw that I had two Kentucky guys in the top ten, and then. I had like eight Kentucky guys from 30 to 65 or something. So like you're 
looking at a glut of eight guys that are all pretty equal. So I actually definitely agree with Coach Krzyzewski in that he's saying like, hey, Coach uh, Coach Calipari really doesn't know how these guys are all going to play together yet. Like, does he need Devin Booker shooting on the floor when he has that big lineup of Cauley Stein and Towns? Does he need more athleticism on the wing? Like, could you play a Marcus Lee or a Alex Poitras on the wing and maybe just hope you can get away with it for a little while? Like, I think there are a lot of questions that he really does need answered. And I actually think that's a really smart way of looking at it and that Coach Cal is going to be getting those answers just through trial and error on this platoon idea. And Norlander, we talked about Friday night being the opening. And then there there aren't any great games. But I will, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be at the Naval Academy. and and um, That's one, just a cool experience. Yeah, right. Plus you get to be on TV. So, you know, yeah. have a ball, man. Have it's, a ball. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's worthwhile for a variety of reasons. Um, but I will get to see the first game for Donnie Tyndall at Tennessee. And obviously he has been in the news in the past week because – This broke – after our podcast, I think last Wednesday. Is I that believe. true? Right. Okay. I think we recorded it and it happened, or I don't know. I, I feel like we didn't discuss it, so I'm glad. I feel, I feel like it was last Thursday. I know we didn't discuss it because, but it was actually Thursday as opposed to Wednesday. Gotcha. Okay. So um, his Southern Miss program that he coached for the past couple of years um, is being investigated by the NCAA. Jason King at Bleacher Report broke the story, and then I I, I wrote about it as well and, and tried to add as much um, context as I could. And basically, the, the picture painted for me is one that suggested Donnie was, A, going to have a hard time uh, getting out of this, and, 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 and B, might, might not even survive it. Um, because if you look at where he's actually employed right now, this is the same school that fired Bruce Pearl in the middle of an NCAA investigation. So I guess some people were saying, hey, well, you know, it'll take a while and we'll see what comes out. And, and I guess that's that's probably the way this is going to go. But but if there's any school in America that has a track record for firing in the middle of an investigation, it is Tennessee recently and firing the most popular coach in the history of his program. And so um, just listen, I, I think on a personal level, you like Donnie Tindall. On a, on a personal level, I can tell you I like Donnie Tindall. I thought he was a smart hire for Tennessee. I'm not going to use revisionist history here and, and try to say they screwed this up. But it is a pretty tough spot that he finds himself in now, right? Yeah. Yes, he, he does. Um, I, I don't know where this is going to go with Donnie and Tennessee. Um, for those listening that might have a vague idea, I mean, basically the NCAA is looking at Southern Miss where he coached for two years after he got that job because he took Moorhead State to the tournament and actually beat Louisville. I was there in Denver in 2011. Um, NCAA is looking into whether certain Prop 48 JUCO recruits uh, receive certain impermissible benefits, and if they did, to what nature and what you know, Tyndall might have known or not known or been involved with or not been involved with. We don't know any of that stuff yet. It's still ongoing. No timeline on when any sort of notice of allegations comes down and all that stuff. Um, it does put Tyndall and Tennessee in a really weird position because Tennessee's not going to be good this year. I think they're going to be better than we thought. They bring in Ian Childs, who's a one-year grad transfer. He'll be good at a guard spot. Dominic Woodson is a big man who's eligible, who comes over from Memphis, who's improving, but you know, an SEC caliber type big for sure, uh, especially in the long term. So they're not going to be as bad as you know, people would have thought back in May, but they're not going to be great. They're not going to sniff a tournament bid by any means like that. So the question then becomes, if Tennessee is a team that wins 13 games and Tyndall's hit by the NCAA in some sort of significant fashion, does Tennessee really decide that it wants to cling to this guy that's only been there not even a year, you know, not a lot of progress in year number one? 
Parrish, you mentioned what they did with the most beloved basketball coach in school history in the middle of an investigation. Uh, you got to believe that contract is laden with a bunch of, um, you know, get out of jail free is not the right term, but Tennessee, sure. w- Tennessee would certainly protected itself. You would have to assume beyond a shadow of a doubt in case its coach got into any sort of trouble in its past or, in, you know, while he was there, um, don't know what'll happen. I can't imagine Doc Sadler is happy at all to be coaching at Southern Miss. Right? Doc Sadler is a guy who's got a lot of very powerful friends who are head coaches and could have many very comfortable assistant gigs at power schools. We've seen that happen in the past few years. I mean, after he kind of struggled with Nebraska, to put it lightly. Uh, but he takes a Southern Miss job, and now he's in the middle of a, of a situation where the NCAA is looking at it. And I can't think that he knew this was happening when he got the gig. So it's an interesting situation. Um, you know. Donnie is a good guy. I mean, I went to, you know, full disclosure, I went to Tennessee in August and did a profile on the transition that Tennessee was going through with Donnie. And Donnie's, you know, been, you know, I never, ever disillusioned myself to the fact that these guys, these coaches will always have stuff that no matter how frank and forthcoming you think they can be with you on a lot of stuff, they will never even remotely try and get you any sort of, you know, light on a situation that could be even the tiniest bit unseemly. So I'm, I always keep that avenue open with every single coach. So I'm not like shocked by this news with Tyndall by any means, but let's see what happens and uh, let's see how Tennessee responds. I do think he will make it through this year as their coach, just because I think the NCAA will look into it, but I'm not, I'm not expecting any sort of uh, fast sort of verdict. I think we're going to hear about North Carolina long before we get the Southern Miss stuff. A couple of things. Uh, clearly, um, uh, Doc Sadler did not know what he was walking into, or else you don't you don't take this job. You don't take that job, right? right. Okay. So beyond that, what would concern me most, and let me just be clear, I've got people on one side of this who have told me Do, uh, uh, Donnie is going to have a hard time escaping fault. I think that was the actual quote that it's serious and and he'll have a hard time escaping fault. I've had people on the other side, in other words, on Donnie's side, say, listen, once he's able to explain this, um, he'll be okay. I, I, I honestly don't know what to believe. But what would concern me if I were Donnie is that these players and those people at that school, let's say that you did get involved in the stuff that people, that, that it is alleged. Whatever the NC, let's say whatever the NCAA thinks went on at Southern Miss, let's say actually did go on at Southern Miss, okay? Like it really happened. Well, when you don't have control over those players anymore and you don't have, and you're not at that school anymore because you left that school, there is no motivation for them to cover for you. And to the extent that they might otherwise. And I'm not saying that this is happening, but what happens if the NCAA goes in to talk to the players in question and says this? Because they can. They can do whatever they want. And says, basically, um, you have immunity if you tell us the truth. If you lie, we rule you permanently ineligible. If, If the stuff really went on, that's what would terrify me if I'm Donnie Tindall, because if the NCAA, because I, I don't know that that's exactly what happened with Aaron Kraft, but my understanding was the NCAA went to Aaron Kraft and basically said, we don't care if you took cars, houses, diamonds, watches, anything. You're cool, as long as you tell us the truth. If you lie to us, we'll bust you. And Aaron Kraft, his parents, they all told the truth about being at Bruce Pearl's house um, in, in violation of NCAA rules. And so if, if that same approach was taken with the Southern Miss kids and this stuff really went down the way the NCAA seems to think it went down, boy, I don't know how you get out of that. 
Yeah. Sorry, I'm just busy imagining Aaron Craft and diamonds right now. <laughs> yeah, and listen, you know, Tennessee gets What if Aaron Craft actually said, you know what? I did take diamonds. <laughs> he should be rocking those diamond earrings from Bruce Pearl every day in and the D League uh, right now. And then he and then he took those diamonds and he sh- used them to shoot three pointers and 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 only made seventeen percent. Yeah. Oh, I knew you were. I knew you were going there. Uh, I mean, just to wrap up the dining thing. So yeah, they play. They play Friday. You'll be there. Um, VCU should romp them. Um, not romp them, but the VCU should win rather convincingly. I would. I would think. Um, and then he'll have post game press availability. He has said that he'll. You know, he'll totally comply with the investigation sure. and and do what the NCAA asks of him. So well, it's not like he has a choice. <laughs> I know. I mean, not, yeah, you know, but I mean, exactly. It's that's not like, like, that's, that's like, that's like me saying, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll absolutely, um, uh, you know, drive to work today. Like I, yeah. I got to drive to work today. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I yeah. get what you're saying. But anyway, so, uh, so we, so we wait and see on that. But, um, yeah, do you want to talk, uh, I want to talk about, I want to ask Sam a question real quick before yeah. we get out of here. Um, sure. Okay. So uh, as you pointed out, we are getting these, uh, these NBA mock drafts together. And I actually stayed up really late last night sort of getting a top 100 list together and trying to narrow it down and just uh, generally wasting time. And um, I noticed by looking – because, listen, I'm not, I think everybody does this, so I'm not trying to, like, uh, pretend otherwise. I, you, you go and you look at Draft Express and you go and look at Chad Ford and you go and you look at NBA Draft Net. At least I do. I print out everything. I want to see sort of what the consensus is. I want to see where the variables are and – one of the things I noticed is that D'Angelo Russell is mentioned almost nowhere, and I, I I'm high on him. But I, that's really weird to me. Yeah, I have him in the top thirty. I think so it's do I. So strange do I. that he's not being mentioned at all. He's nowhere. Like he's on nobody's list. He's not. He's not on Chad Ford's. He's not on Jonathan Gavoni's. He's not. I, I honestly, I have not seen his name on any of these mock drafts. And I, he's only in my head, well, A, because he's like a top 20, you know, freshman in the country or was a top 20 national recruit in, the, in last year's high school class. So that that almost by definition puts you in the conversation. But more than that, I talked to Thad Mana a few weeks ago for a story just like, you know, uh, Shannon Scott taking over, Aaron Craft gone. It was your typical preseason story. Uh, nothing awesome, but it was a column for a day. And... um and he was raving about D'Angelo Russell. Just ra- he's like, listen, the kid sees things that I can't see sometimes. Like he's just a a special talent. He's our best player. He's our best passer. And I think you saw in the first exhibition, he led the team in points, rebounds, and assists. And then, so then I just like, whatever. I just had that conversation, and it's in my head, and I just go on to doing other things. And then Adrian Wojnarowski, our buddy from Yahoo Sports tweeted, I don't know, within the past couple of weeks that when he talks to NBA people, the one the guy they were all raving about is D'Angelo Russell. And so I was just curious, and it's good to know, you have him in your top 30 because he's in mine as well, but he's, he's listed nowhere else right now in the mock drafts. I imagine that'll change soon. Yeah, I want to say that our uh, good buddy Jeff Goodman uh, has him in the top 30. I don't, but... when, I, when I say I check everybody's, it's not Goodman. <laughs> you got to remember, he said he, last year he Everyone said, that you know matters. Last year he said that. Aaron Kraft was better than Andrew Wiggins. He said he would take Aaron Kraft over Andrew Wiggins. Also said there was, quote, no way Andrew Wiggins would go number one in the draft. Also said the reason that was the case. And like if you wanted to argue he's not going to go number one because of Jabari or because of Joel Embiid, I, I could maybe listen to that. Said he wouldn't go number one because of Julius Randle. No way he's going ahead of Julius Randle. And so um, give it yeah, that. Yeah, that's strange. I like, <laughs> I like Goodman. He's, I guess I like him. But he, um, <laughs> when it comes to uh, NBA draft stuff, I can't, I can't put faith in, in he's ruined his credibility. <laughs> yeah, forever. Uh, well, yeah. I'm not, not going to go that far, but uh, <laughs> just because I don't know him as well as you guys do. But well, that's the only reason you won't go that far. 
pretty much. <laughs> but yeah, like, <laughs> you know, full disclosure, I'm an Ohio State graduate, like, went there for four years, loved the place. Um, everything that I hear out of Columbus right now is that D'Angelo Russell is going to be an absolute star in the Big Ten. Like, there, there is no two ways about it. They talk about, you know, Shannon Scott taking a big step forward and shooting well and, you know, some of the other young freshmen because they have another, they have a pretty big recruiting class coming in. But everyone just talks about how D'Angelo Russell is going to be a beast. And you would think that his game being, you know, like a six foot five, he's not, I don't think he's really a combo guard. I think he's like a guard that can play both point and shooting guard. That is and a combo I think guard, I think, Sam. Well, I think there's a difference between being versatile and being a tweener. I got you. Yeah, I got you. And you would think that like a six foot five guy like that, who's not going to have any size questions, who's not going to have, who's going to be able to come in and, you know, probably score 14 points a game right off the bat. Like you would think there'd be more about him and there really hasn't been. I find that strange as well. I'm with you, GP. Uh, Yeah. Like if he was a six, two, you know, play either position guy, then you understand why he's not in everybody's first round, but he's got decent size, if not good size. Mm -hmm. He seems to be an odd, uh, a great playmaker, wonderful passer. And again, I called Thad to talk to him about everything except D'Angelo, and he could not stop talking about D'Angelo. I wasn't there to talk about D'Angelo. He couldn't stop talking about D'Angelo. I thought that was a, a good sign. Go ahead, Norlander. Nothing. I just I think um, he's just, for whatever reason, uh, hasn't been put in that elite group of incoming freshmen. Ohio State was brutal on offense last year. There isn't a definitive... Uh, label on him in terms of position. So I think those things have combined. But I've been – dude, he was on my Big Ten preseason team, preseason team. I think he's got a decent shot at being the league player of the year if Ohio State really takes a big step up and uh, and Decker and Kaminsky kind of cancel each other out. So I'm I'm huge on that. And uh, before you wrap it up, I just want to do Final Four stuff. So I just – I wanted to get that in. Uh, my Final Four, we had uh, – was it last week we turned all this stuff in? And, yeah. Um, you know, mine – this is – first off, you guys – I cannot fundamentally understand how anybody's final four projections in early November could be different than whoever they would rank in the top four. Of, right, because you can take two. Yeah, well, you do two different approaches to it. It's yeah. either because you either go the, te- the four best teams, or if you just say, okay, well, the four best teams never make it to the final four in March anyway, except that one year in two thousand eight then you can just have a little fun with it and think about a team that's good enough to make the final four but might not be a top four team right now. I think which that's is what, what I, did. I did. I think that is so – with all due respect to both of you, I think that is stupid. All right. Well, hey, I mean you're entitled to your opinion there. But uh, it's no fun to pick the four best teams because then we all have the same final four. Uh, yeah, we would all have Kentucky, Duke, Wisconsin, Arizona. That's my yes. final four. Like I'm just going to – I, you know, I, I, I do think this is a – I guess we always say this. I think it's a year where a lot of teams can make. Any, anybody can year. win this. Anybody can win it this year. I don't know if anybody could win. It. I know. I, I think. Yeah. I think somebody in the preseason top five is going to probably win the national championship. But I do think, you know, anybody, not anybody, but there's probably 30 teams that can make the final four. And but that's almost always the case, you know. Like, um, so I yeah, I went with Wisconsin, Kentucky, Arizona, and and Duke, and then my player of the year, Jalil Okafor, my coach of the year. Just by default, I go with the guy who I think is going to coach the national champions. That's Kentucky's John Calipari. Sam, you want to go yours? Yeah, sure. I have uh, Arizona as my national champion because I think they have. I think that by the time that starting five meshes together and gels, I think they're the most talented starting five in the country. Um, and I do think they have enough de- enough depth to, you know, 
deal with Kentuckys. Um, and then I also have Kentucky Duke, and I actually put in Gonzaga as my fourth. I think that they are one of the five most talented teams in the country this year. They have depth. They have shooting all over the floor. They have a load inside in Karnowski. They have that X factor that is Sabonis, who is one of the more fluid athletes that you're going to see in college basketball this year as a freshman. Um, I think that they have a shot to, as long as they can figure out some of the defensive issues that might plague them a little bit, just in the early going with playing Wilcher and Karnowski together, I think that they can absolutely, this could be the year that we see Mark Few make a run at the Final Four. And given that I thought that, I said that Mark Few would be Coach of the Year. And then I also had Marcus Page as Player of the Year. Yeah, why'd you go Page? Um, I really, really like the way Marcus Page runs that offense. I think that he's going to have a huge year, like a 20-6 and kind of year. And... I think that Okafor is going to have like an Odin-like impact that you saw with Ohio State. And I do believe that Odin won National Player of the Year, right? No, I think that was joking. No. Noah. It was Noah. It was Noah? Yeah. Well, I do think that there is going to be an older guy like Paige who ends up stepping up and winning National Player of the Year. I like the way he leads, I like the way he leads that team, basically. And hey, maybe the sanctions end up. Overshadowing or overshadowing what UNC is able to accomplish this year. That will be interesting. I mean, that's going to be to me. That's probably the that's most the question story. for me. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like what UNC will do, and then the the NCAA stuff's going to be out there, and how the team's going to play, and all that stuff. That's going to you know that's that's going to be interesting to see how Roy reacts and the team and whatever. So you, by the way, have you and Gottlieb took Page, and you and Gottlieb took Few for Coach of the Year. I actually almost I'm kind of terrified gonna, by I, that. I don't I don't have any problem with either one of those. By the way. Oh, neither do I. Neither do I. Because I was going to have few coach of the year, but then when he told me he was taking few, and one of our editors said, I can't believe it, Gottlieb put his picks in first, and by the way, he has few as coach of the year. I was like, well, I got to mix this up. And so then I actually, I took Krzyzewski, because one, I, I have Duke winning it all. Krzyzewski has never won AP coach of the year. Is that not mind-boggling? Yes. Selfs it, won it like twice. Like, um, Billy, how about this? Billy Donovan's got more national titles than he does SEC coach of the year honors. That's also ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it's just—it's crazy though. Like Shushevsky has never won AP Coach of the Year, you and he's know why? Coach it, Here's why: because the way people vote on this, and I think this is just as dumb as the way you guys. Pick it's your like Phil Jackson only has one, I think, at the right. NBA level. To win Coach of the Year in most people's minds, you have to—you have to recruit uh, mediocrity and then overachieve. <laughs> well, to me, that's stupid. Like, like, why not? You know, why not reward the guy who actually does the job the right way, which is recruit a bunch of badasses and then go beat everybody's brains in? Like, to me, that's what coach of the – that's the guy I'd want to hire. I don't want to hire somebody who, who uh, recruits a bunch of three-star guys and then, like, you know, finishes second in the Big Ten as opposed to sixth in the Big Ten. I want to I reward the guy. Like, I, if I were hiring somebody, give me the guy who, who signs five-star guys and then, and then goes beats the shit out of everybody. Yeah. <laughs> in, a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, it is a backhanded compliment. So I just went to Shevsky. Uh, like Parrish, I have Okafor as player of the year and then obviously by mandate, uh, freshman of the year there. I have Duke yeah. winning it all, who was actually my pick last year as well. I have Arizona, which you guys both have. I went Kansas, and only Jerry Palm also had Kansas Final Four. Um, I think Bill Self's just – I, I kind of looked at it. I was like, eh, he's only been to two. I can see him getting to a third. And then my wild card team was Texas because I actually think Texas has a ton of talent, and why not? It was between Texas and Gonzaga, and ultimately I wanted to vary up the picks, so I went with the Longhorns as kind of a team that I think will be like – 
three seed level that can make a run. Um, obviously, you know, it's it's both silly and impossible to ever think that we would have another seven seed like last year where UConn got there and won it all. I mean, no one really looks looks like, looks at it like that. But just in terms of varying it up, um, went with that. So we yeah. will we will see how those picks turn out at some point in late March. All right, we've kept you long enough. As always, thanks to Matt Norlander, thanks to Sam Bassini, and uh, thanks to you guys for being here at CBSSports.com, listening to the podcast, reading what we write, watching videos, interacting with us on Twitter. Subscribe to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest podcast, so make sure to go do that. It's a free, and free is cool, and either way, thanks again for being here. We will talk to you again uh, next week. Take care.